Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church, Goodyear, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. If you are new here, I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Mike Zarati. I am the pastor of students and families here at Compass, and uh, I am part of the preaching team, and I am so excited to be here with you guys today because, um, well, things are gonna be a little bit different today. We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about bread. You like bread, right? Everyone likes bread. Do you guys know that Oprah likes bread? <laughs> Oprah likes bread. If you don't know about that, you can check that out on Twitter. I, a bunch of people kept talking to me about Oprah, so I was like, I check on Twitter, there's this whole video about how much she likes bread. So anyway, um, it's actually kind of appropriate that we're talking about bread because uh, last week, uh, yeah, last week, man, it, Time flies. Last week, my wife and I completed, we've been married for almost 13 years, completed our first cross-country trip via car um, from Arizona to Michigan. It's one of those things that you do and hope that you never have to do again, 30 hours in a car. But anyway, while we were there, um, we're there celebrating uh, her parents' 40th anniversary. They were doing a uh, vow renewal. They asked me to officiate that. It was really fun. We had a little vacation with it. It was awesome. Um, while we were there, Everyone in the Harrison family, Ginger's family, kept talking to me about this place called Old Hamlin. It's called, and this is in Ludington, Michigan. Raise your hand if you know anything about Ludington, Michigan. Okay, there's a few of you. I knew nothing about it. Um, little beach town, but it's not a beach because it's a big lake. Anyway, there's this place called Old Hamlin, all right? Now, Old Hamlin, everyone keeps telling me, has the best bread in the world. Now, if you're anything like me, you've had this happen a lot. In your lifetime, someone comes up to you and says, we gotta go to this place. It's the best burger in the world. It's the best burrito in the world. Pastor Dave liked to do that. Everything was the best in the world. And every time you go there, you're there and you're like, meh. I've had better, right? So naturally, Old Hamlin, you know, this is a vacation spot for them. It's just kind of the thing. I thought, whatever, you just love it. So I was a skeptic until I tried it. Now, I don't know about you, but I like my bread in the toast form. So toast and jam, my, my aunt's raspberry jam, you know it's not jelly, it's jam, it's homemade, it's really good stuff. So um, we go to this breakfast, really cheap breakfast, I order this bread, they bring me two eggs and a mound of seven slices of old Hamlin bread, and I thought, that's too much, until I ate it all every single slice. Now I can tell you, it is absolutely the best bread I've ever had in my life. In fact, I liked it so much, I can tell you that it was the one, two, three, four, fifth slice of bread in the stack of seven that was my absolute favorite. And the reason it was my favorite is because it was sliced just a little bit thinner, toast a little bit extra, and there's some strawberry jam on top. That was the point when I took a bite of that slice of bread that I looked at my father-in-law and said, John, this is the best bread I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so naturally it's appropriate today to talk about bread. So I don't claim to be an expert, on bread, but I wonder if anyone in the audience here knows how bread gets its shape. Does anyone know? Just kind of shout it out. Not the pan, that's good. Last night, Saturday night knew right away. The yeast, right, yeast, okay? So yeast is this really crazy little thing. When you put it in with uh, flour and water, it kind of reacts and causes this flour to rise. It's a fascinating thing. It doesn't take a whole lot of it, yet it's powerful. It spreads throughout all the dough, puffs up the dough, and makes it rise. There's another type of yeast that 
existed thousands of years ago. It was really before yeast was really common, and it was called leaven. This is something that people in biblical times used to make bread. Leaven did the exact same thing as yeast, only it was different. Leaven was actually a ball of dough, a lump of dough that had been set aside for a week or so and allowed to ferment. So build up some bacteria and stuff. What was interesting is when you took that lump of dough and introduced it into a new lump of dough, a larger lump of dough, that leaven would actually infect and spread throughout the new lump of dough and cause that new lump of dough to rise. And what's happening is, the bacteria is eating the sugars and the flour and then it's releasing carbon dioxide, you really wanted to know this, and the bread is rising. But it's amazing the power of yeast. What you may or may not know is that without yeast, bread would look a lot like this. Now most bread, not this bread, this is from Walmart, has 90 ingredients. Um, <laughs> most bread is actually made simply from water and flour. And by the way, yeast, obviously, except for this bread. This is called uh, matzah. It's unleavened bread. There's no yeast in it at all. In fact, the ingredients on the box that you can buy this with literally says flour and water. Interesting thing about bread without yeast is it's kind of like a cracker. And by the way, my daughter went with me to buy this, and she got so excited to try it. She gets home, and she takes a bite of it, and she's like, mm, this is good, and then goes and puts salt on it. There's no flavor to this, and I, I, I can't take a bite of it to show you because I wouldn't be able to talk. It's like a cracker, okay? It's actually quite amazing, though, the power of leaven, of yeast. Assuming that this was actually real good bread, like old Hamlin's bread, and just had water, flour, and yeast, um, imagine that one little tiny thing called yeast makes this big of a difference. We have flat bread, no yeast, and what I like to refer today is fat bread with yeast, okay? All right, so that's kind of the illustration. That kind of helps us understand the differences there. Now, you may be sitting here today, and you're going, Mike, this is cool. I'm, I fail yet to understand, though, how bread is going to kind of apply to our text today, okay? So what I want you to know is that in our text, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today, starting in verse 6, Paul's going to be talking a whole lot about this stuff called leaven, and it's very important for us to understand why he's using it as an illustration. Now, if you were here last week, you may or may not remember Pastor Gabe talking, and he preached on the first part of our text, which is 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. And in his message last week, we learned that in the church in Corinth, there was a man, a fellow, who is, for whatever reason, sleeping with his stepmother. We don't understand why. Gabe spent a lot of time kind of uh, explaining to us some of the intricacies of, this, of what was going on. So what we learned last week is that this man who's sleeping with his stepmother, his, this sin, number one, was willful and continual. We learned that this is something he knew was wrong and kept doing it. We learned that this man's sin was something that was well known. In verse one, we see that it was reported. So this is something that's known. It's very likely that this was known far outside of the church. This man's sin was also something that had been going on for some time, so this wasn't something new. This had been happening. Unfortunately, like I already alluded to, this man's sin was illicit sexual intercourse with his stepmother. This man's sin was bad, really, really bad. 
we learn in verse one that what he was doing was not even tolerated by the pagans. Those who had no relationship with God. The culture in Corinth, a sick, dilapidated culture, uh, obsessed with sex. Even they thought that this was ridiculous. And so what we learn is that Paul's telling the church last week, very simply, this guy can't stay. He cannot be a part of the church. He has to go. So hopefully by now, maybe you've turned with me, 1 Corinthians chapter five. We're gonna start in verse six. Before I start reading, just a moment ago, once again, we talked about this thing called leaven. We described leaven as powerful, quietly spreading throughout all of the dough. We described it as puffs us up. And that could be individuals, it could be the church. What Paul's gonna do here is he is going to draw a parallel between sin and leaven. And it makes sense, it's very simple. What do we know about sin? Sin is powerful, it puffs us up, and it quietly spreads throughout all of the body. There's a strong, strong parallel here, and that's what Paul's gonna use to take us where he wants to take us today. So now that we are all experts on bread, leaven, and yeast, and its connection to sin, let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse six through eight. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what's happening here is last week, Paul is really trying to tell the church what they have to do. He gets them to this point where they understand that he's calling them to cast this man out of their congregation. He's telling them they cannot stay. This week, Paul's telling them why. And he's actually doing it very, very cleverly. You see, the people in the Corinthian church were largely Jewish. And Paul is going to use this picture of leaven that ties back to Exodus chapter 12 in the Passover to help them understand why this man can't stay. So in Exodus chapter 12, it's the first time we learn about this thing called the Passover. And and from that moment forward to the point that we are in this text, and even to the point that we are today, the Passover is one of the most celebrated and recognized Jewish festivals in all of history. In fact, many people really know and have heard about the Passover. The guy in fries who, who found the leaven for me said, oh, the stuff that people use for Passover. Yes, exactly, okay? So this is a very known festival. So Paul's gonna use this, this festival, this Passover, this, this feast, and some of the intricacies of it to help the church understand why this guy needs to go. All right? So what we learn in Exodus chapter 12 is that the Israelites had been captive from the Egyptians for over 400 years. And this point had come, you, you, may have, you may remember kind of the plagues of Egypt, you've seen it in some movies. The point had come where the 10th plague was gonna happen, and this 10th plague is where God is going to cast judgment on Egypt by taking out all the firstborn sons. And Israel is given the instruction in order to avoid this catastrophe to paint the blood of a lamb on their doorway. So they're painting the blood of these lambs on their doorway. And what happens is when when God comes at night and judges Egypt, when he sees the blood on the doorway, he's gonna pass over 
those doors. And the firstborn sons within those homes would be spared. And this is how Israel ultimately gains their freedom from these 400 years. They gain it by painting blood on their doorway. Interestingly enough though, that's not all that Exodus chapter 12 tells us. You see, Egypt, or I'm sorry, Israel was captive for over 400 years because of their sin. And God also gives them instructions on how to stay free, and that's where this leaven comes in. They're told in Exodus chapter 12 that they are to search their house for leaven, that lump of dough that had been fermenting. And any lump of leaven or any sort of leaven that they find there to cast out. And we see there instantly the connection with sin. What Israel's realizing here and what God's trying to tell them is that in order to stay free, they're going to have to continually cast out their sin. So this is the context that Paul is speaking towards. This is exactly how the Israelites, how the the people in the church in Corinth, even the Gentiles, the, the Jewish culture was prevalent. They knew about Passover. This is exactly what the church in Corinth would have heard. So when Paul starts and says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, they would have known exactly what he's saying. Instantly, they're gonna go, oh, okay. What Paul's saying here is that this man was defiling their entire church because of the sin, this this grotesque sin that he's committing. In other words, this guy was like a cancer in the body that needed to be removed before it killed them. This is what the church would have been hearing. And I want you to keep in mind what Gabe talked about last week. This sin was public. I think the news was out. I think the culture in Corinth knew what was going on in this brand new baby church in Corinth. Imagine this baby church, this new thing called the way, this new Christianity. People are kind of trying to figure out what it's gonna be, and now we're giving them ammo. They're letting some guy sleep with his stepmother. It's disgusting. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna make sure that we can kind of feel the weight of this ourselves. So let's, I'm gonna, let's, let's play a game. Okay, let's play a game. Let's pretend that we have a situation going on here within Compass Church. So let's pretend that we have a guy. There's a dude, and he is selling drugs to you on your way into church every weekend. Good job. You're buying drugs. First off, this guy shows up, right? He shows up, and he's selling drugs. We're like, oh, I guess there's a guy selling drugs. Whatever. Mistake number one. We let that continue for a little bit, and now our people are partaking, Mothers, fathers, teenagers. Who's the youth pastor, right? <laughs> teenagers, whoever wants it. Maybe even some, some people who are a little bit in the older years, like, okay, maybe I'll try it. It's been a while. <laughs> okay? So there's a guy, problem number one, selling drugs. Problem number two, we're, all, we're like, well, whatever, let him do his thing. Problem number three, eventually, we're all, okay, maybe the sermon will go quicker. Right, we have allowed this thing to happen. Now here's my question for you. Would this impact our view or the the view of the people in the West Valley of Compass Church? Would it impact it? (laughs) Yeah, okay? You don't have to be a Christian to know that selling drugs to teenagers and children and adults and parents and elderly people is not a good idea, primarily because it's already illegal. 
But for whatever reason, Compass Church has decided, that's fine, let's let him do it, whatever. Or maybe we just sweep it under the rug. Maybe he'll go away if we leave him alone. And then this sin permeates and poisons all of us. And guess what? We lose our reputation. It wouldn't matter how passionate we are. It wouldn't matter what our message was. Anyone who came here who knew what we were doing, it'd be over. In fact, I would argue that there's a very good chance that Compass Church dies. And I realize this is an illustration, but this has happened not too long ago, and I'm, I struggled whether or not I was gonna say this, but, but I wanna go here, because I think it's important. Without any disrespect to the Catholic Church, this happened not too long ago. 10 to 15 years ago, we began to hear stories of how priests are molesting children. And if that's not bad enough, we're starting, we, we hear that, that there's leadership in the Catholic Church who knew about it and let it happen. This is still affecting the Catholic Church. It was a major, major black eye. There's no way you can sleep that under the rug, sweep that under a rug. And guess what? People outside of the church, both Christian and non, the Catholic Church has been tainted in their minds, maybe even up until this day. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why church discipline exists. And this is what Paul's doing. Church, has, church discipline has three purposes, and really we learn this in large part from this text, 1 Corinthians chapter five. Purpose number one, it's to maintain the reputation and integrity of the local church. We do not want it to be reported that Compass Church has a drug dealer that's selling drugs to all the people so the church service goes better. We don't want that. Number two, it's to help disciple and restore an erring brother or sister to Christ. Gabe talked about this in depth last week. The purpose of church discipline is not punishment. It's not to say, you are naughty, get out of here. The goal is ultimately that when someone is cast out, that they kind of experience the weight of that, losing the community of the church and go, man, I've got to change, and they come back. It's not just to discipline. It's not for the church to say, we have authority. It's for the person. And number three, and this is what Paul's talking about today, to keep the church pure, unleavened. Because ladies and gentlemen, as we will learn as we go forward, sin inside the church is like yeast. It can affect the entire lump of dough. We must be pure or our message falls on deaf ears. Paul continues, verse seven. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let me put this very simple layman's terms. Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb, has made you into flatbread because of his death, because of his shed blood on the cross. But church in Corinth, you're acting like fatbread. This is who you are. This is the way you're seen. It's almost as if the church kind of got really excited about this idea that they no longer had to sacrifice animals and shed blood for the atonement of their sins because we see this in the Old Testament. The Passover in Exodus chapter 12 did not cover, the blood on the Passover did not cover their sins for all time. They continually had to atone for their sins. Jesus shows up and changes the game because he's the perfect Passover lamb. 
His shed blood once and for all covers the sin of those who call him Lord. And they find themselves in this position, it's much easier. So they know they're covered by their sin and they go, whatever. But they continue acting like fat bread. What Paul's telling them is really quite profound and quite simple. You are unleavened. Even though you're acting this way, you are unleavened. You're forgiven. But your actions don't match who you are. They were still acting like they did before they knew Jesus and his forgiveness. This reminds me of me. This is a difficult thing. May we remind you of you. Understand for the church in Corinth, this new Passover lamb, Jesus, changed everything. He was huge, it was amazing. No longer did they have to atone for their sins by sacrifices. He paid it all. It cost him everything. And because of him, no matter how much sin actually existed in their lives, they were unleavened, they were forgiven, they were clean, they were free. Not by anything that they did, not by anything they learned, but because of Jesus. This was huge to the church. It changed everything. But they had not quite yet figured out how to act. Okay, Mike, this is good. Bread, church discipline, I can connect a little bit with what's going on in the Corinthian church because I have some of these struggles. But really what you've been talking about so far, Mike, is the church. It's the church. What about me? What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to take home? In verse eight, I think we're gonna find that we get a little punch in the gut. And I have to be honest with you, um, one of the challenges of, of preaching is that you don't wanna just come up on the stage and preach a message for everyone else. So I have to be honest with you, this week as I was writing this and I was kind of studying and, and figuring out what, what's going on in this text and learning about yeast, um, this hit me hard. This hit me really hard. In fact, even through last night as I'm in the green room, coming out and ready to, to preach for the first time, God's, God's telling me, Mike, you got some stuff you gotta work on. So here's our challenge, verse eight. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul's talking about a festival here. What does that mean? Well, interestingly enough, it looks pretty clear that Paul wasn't just bringing up the Passover because he thought it was the perfect illustration to make his point. Paul's bringing up the Passover because it looks like the Passover festival is about to happen. It looks like the church in Corinth, along with the rest of the Middle East, was about to celebrate the Passover. 
this week-long ceremony, this week-long feast. And the thing was, like I've already alluded to, the Passover now has an entirely new and much more profound meaning to the church in Corinth because they're no longer just celebrating Exodus chapter 12, this thing that happened generations and generations ago where God passed over them, saved their firstborn sons and set them free. That was definitely part of it, it always will be. But what the Passover means to them now is something entirely new and very significant. The Passover now was also an opportunity to celebrate the perfect Passover lamb. It became a time also to remember what Jesus had done. The Lamb of God had come to take away the sins of the world. His shed blood made them free, a type of freeness that they had never experienced even the day that they walked away, ran away perhaps from Egypt after 400 years of freedom. The Passover was a chance to come together and to honor the risen king. The problem was they weren't going to celebrate the festival in sincerity and truth, but instead with malice and evil like unleavened bread. They were gonna celebrate, they were about to celebrate the Passover as hypocrites, allowing this man in their church who is doing this disgusting thing, sweeping it under the rug, and, and, and on top of it all, what we see again, what we saw in the text last week, they're proud, they're boasting. They think they're great. They really think they're the stuff, and I'm sure it's perhaps because they know they're forgiven, and that's a beautiful thing. The problem is the way they're acting is horrible. And the shock, I believe, is a lot like what it would be if you and I allowed a drug dealer to do exactly what I said he did. They're hypocrites. They're coming to celebrate the risen Jesus who set them free and they look no different. In fact, perhaps even worse than the culture in Corinth. Now for you and me. I know that we don't celebrate the Passover here weekly. I understand that. But don't we come here because of Jesus? Don't we come here because of our perfect Passover lamb who came and died on the cross for our sins? Don't we come here because we're free and we wanna worship our savior? Isn't that why we're here today? That's not all unlike what the church in Corinth was gonna do celebrating the Passover. In fact, I would argue it's very much the same. So here's my question for you. Are you here today worshiping in sincerity and in truth? I think for some of us, we're not. 
Some of us are not here worshiping in sincerity and truth. We're here worshiping with hidden sin. There may be some of us here today who have secret sin in our lives. And the only person who knows about it is you. You haven't told anyone. And if that's you, one of two things has happened. Number one, you've bought the lie that your sin is not that big of a deal. Or number two, you are convicted of your sin, but rather than trying to to gain freedom from the sin with other people, you think you can do it on your own. You know what's interesting? We actually don't know anything about this guy who's sleeping with his stepmother. We don't know anything about how the sin started for him. Clearly, at some point, there's a temptation that he has with his stepmother. And how did he view that? Man, it's no big deal. Or man, this is crazy. I gotta stop this. I gotta get rid of this. But he never tells anyone and tries to do it on his own. We don't know which one was him. What we do know is that eventually, everything blew up. Eventually, his sin was found out. And also, eventually, he developed a pretty rotten attitude about it and thought, whatever, forget you. I'm gonna do it anyway but we don't know how it started. Can I be honest? It didn't matter how it started. What mattered was that a sin came out. And wherever you're at today, if you have a secret sin in your life, what makes you so bold to think that it's gonna stay hidden? I would assume this man thought his was. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've met with families and individuals and people and students who all thought that their sin was gonna be a secret, but eventually it came out and it always surprised them how. What makes you think yours won't? And on top of that, are you also so proud to think that when it does that it's not gonna affect anyone but you? I wonder what would have happened if this guy had actually confessed his sin. In that moment where he realized it was an issue, he thought, man, I gotta get help, and he goes and tells someone and enters community and says, hold me accountable, there's something going on here. The truth is, his sin would have come out, and I realize that's a difficult thing, but can I be honest with you? In my experience, when we confess our sins to each other and it comes out in confession, not only is it respectable, but it almost always goes better. There's still damage, there's still heartache, there's still all that stuff, but it means something when we confess it rather than being caught. So I believe there's some of you here today who need to confess your sin. It's time for you to come out of the shadows and have a conversation with someone and say, I'm struggling. Here's what it is. I need to stop and I'm gonna need your help. It's time for us to stop being so proud to think that our sin, once found out, could not destroy the church. So let's confess it now before it gets worse and before we're caught. Because we can work together because of our Passover lamb through grace and forgiveness and brotherhood to walk with you 
so that you're no longer alone. There's other of us in this room today who aren't worshiping in sincerity and truth, but it's different. We're the ones who have thought this whole message was for someone else. Truth be told, if that's you, you're not that much unlike me. Oftentimes I come into a church service, I come into a message and I get so excited about what I'm hearing. I'll hear Tim, I, I'll, I'm, I'm not kidding, sometimes I sit over here and Tim or Gabe or whoever's preaching and I'm like, yes! I'm so glad we're covering this today for everyone else. They need to hear it. The truth is, as a pastor, my heart has always been, and I mean it, this is my passion, my heart has been that people would know Jesus. That people would know the God who entered my life and forgave me of all my sins. That people would know that God. That's my passion. And sometimes that passion is so deep that I don't allow what's being said or what God's trying to say to be for me. It has to be for everyone else. And can I say something today? This is for you and me. Here's the truth you're a sinner. You and I are sinners. You'll always have sin that needs to be cast out until we meet Jesus face to face. That's the way it's gonna be. You've not finished out, you've not finished casting out leaven. You've not crossed the finish line. You've not come to a place in your life where your sin cannot affect the church. You and I are sinners. In fact, the only way that we can guarantee that our sin will not affect the church is by constantly looking for sin in our lives and casting it out. That's the only way. And we have to do that in community. It's never alone. Sometimes we get really good as a church about talking about grace, as well we should. Grace is amazing. Grace is amazing. The fact that God will pass over our sins because his son paid for them already, that's insane. But in light of that, sometimes we forget to talk about the weight and the heaviness of our sin. Today, I want you to know that sin can, does, and will damage you, the church, and the people you love, whether it's a big old nasty secret sin or simply the sin of pride, the deep-rooted sin of pride that says this message isn't for me. And by the way, that pride, that's exactly what's going on in the church in Corinth. Paul keeps saying it. You're boasting, you're arrogant, you're proud. We've just begun. If pride is the issue that we're starting with, and that's a slippery slope. But again, if that's you, you're like the Corinthian church too, and that's where I am. It's time today for each of us to take a long, hard look into our lives and ask God to show us the sin that we need to confess. It's time for you to pray the prayer, God, show me the sin in my heart that I can't see. And lastly, there's some of you here today. You've been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by sin. You've been hurt by judgment. You've been hurt by gossip. You've been hurt by someone in leadership sweep, sweeping things under the rug and you are disillusioned with the church and 
potentially disillusioned by God because what the church has done, because of the mistakes the church has made, because they're unwilling to deal with their sin and the stuff that's going on amongst them. If that's you and you felt the weight of sin in your life from the church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you've seen, it's not what God intended, and it's certainly not God. God is very, very different than the humans who have hurt you. One of the greatest things about the church are the people. One of the hardest and most difficult things oftentimes about the church are the people. And if you've been hurt, I want you to understand that was not God. And today I believe you are here because God is calling you to a relationship with him in sincerity and truth despite what the church has shown you, despite the mistakes that we've made. And when you give your life to him, you're gonna find a savior, a king that is both good and loving and accepting and forgiving so much so that he sent his son, his only son, to be, to be brutally punished on a cross for his sin so that you don't have to, and all you have to do is say, you're my God, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. And I think if you're here today and you've been hurt by the church, you're here because God, this morning, it's calling you to give your life to him despite the pain you've been caused. Let's pray. If that's you, you're here today and you've been hurt by the church. But you know it's time. It's time to give your life to God. It's very simple in the quietness of your heart, you simply cry out the truth. And it may sound something like this, God, I need you. I need a Passover lamb who will pass over my sins because I am a sinner. And even though I've been hurt by the church, I know that you're good, I see that now. Would you come into my life and forgive me and make me a new lump of dough? Make me new. Set me on a right path. Teach me how to live in a way that honors you. I need you, God. I give you my heart and my life right now. And Lord, for those, the rest of us, I pray, Lord, that we would not buy the lie that our sin is without consequence. And if there's anyone here today who's struggling with secret sin, God, would you convict them, make their heart beater even faster right now, God, help them to know that you are talking. They have to confess. It is a lie to think that it is better hidden, and that is a lie from Satan, God. Would you give them, by your spirit, the courage to seek out community, to find someone to confess their sins to God. And I pray that in that, Lord, even in the consequences, they would experience your grace and your love 
as the church comes around them to help restore them, to help them walk away from their sin. And for the rest of us, God, don't allow us to be in a place where we think that you're not talking to us today. Help us to see the sin in our hearts that we can't see. And thank you, God, for being the perfect Passover lamb, making this all possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.